You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And you know what day of the week it is. It's Monday. And that means the Monday Night Football preview is here and is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. It's Monday night. That means we need to get ready for Monday Night Football, both sides of the game. And we start with ESPN 49ers reporter Nick Wagner. Nick, let's start with the obvious here. I mean, it's in Mexico City. You're down there. What's the feel and the vibe around this game? Yeah, there's a lot of excitement here. And I can tell you guys, if you talk to the NFL about who are the most popular teams in Mexico, the 49ers are in the top four in that group and really the top two. But they're, they're expecting about 80% 49ers fans here tonight, which uh, isn't a great thing for the Cardinals, who are technically the home team in this game. And just looking around, I'm standing outside uh, Estadio Azteca right now, uh, outside of the outdoor press box here, and just looking around, and it looks like it's going to be every bit of 80% just based on jerseys and things like that. So a very festive atmosphere, uh, 49ers fans turning out again, turning this into uh, Levi's South. South, I guess, because I think they've claimed SoFi Stadium also as their own. All right, so Nick, when you look at this actual team on the field, uh, trying to figure out how to work Christian McCaffrey into the offense, I mean, that's a glorious problem for anybody to have. Where do you sort of feel like the the 49ers sit in the scope of the NFC in its entirety as they're now constructed? It's a great question, Jason, and I think tonight is going to go a long way in giving us a real answer, and I only say that because I think if you look at the roster and you just say on paper, this is a team that is every bit as good as anybody in the NFC. But we haven't seen that translate to the field on a consistent basis. And even after, you know, a couple of weeks ago when they beat the Rams down in L.A. pretty handily, I think a lot of people were like, okay, this is where the 49ers are turning the corner. But, you know, they always beat the Rams, except for when it mattered most. You know, they won eight in a row in the regular season against them. And so it was hard to kind of say, okay, they've turned the corner. And then last week they were on the verge of winning that game handily, but they didn't do it against the Chargers. So this is a game, again, that I think they should win you know, fairly convincingly, and if they can do that, I think you're going to see a team that is finally starting to kind of head in the direction that they did last year. If you remember, guys, they, they went 7-2 and two over the final nine games last year, and you could see that they were a team that was going to be a problem in January. And so a three-game winning streak, a chance to do that, a chance to win here and get to 4-0 and in the NFC West, I think would go a long way in saying, okay, we can finally call this team the contender that everybody thinks it can be but hasn't quite proven to be just yet. Nick Wagner with us, ESPN 49ers reporter, ahead of Monday Night Football tonight. Obviously, the defense has been uh, the high point of this team all season, though injuries have made it maybe a little less effective at given times. What are you seeing from the offense, especially as they continue to adjust to the addition of Christian McCaffrey? Yeah, sir, I think the hard part is, is they've got a lot of mouths to feed, right? So if you look around the offense, you say, okay, every week it could be somebody different that hurts you, which is a great thing for the 49ers when they put together a game plan, but it's a little bit harder to manage when you're talking about personalities and egos, right? And, and last week we saw George Kittle, for example. He only got targeted twice. He had one catch for 21 yards, and he even admitted this week, hey, you know, I would like to get the ball more. And I'm telling Jimmy Garoppolo, hey, whenever you need me, I'm one-on-one, throw it to me, give me a shot. So uh, I think there's a fine line to walk there where you obviously want to feed the hot hand, and Christian McCaffrey has kind of been that. He was in the Rams game, but, you know, last week Elijah Mitchell had a good game. So they've got a lot of options, but they've also got to try to keep everybody happy. And I think you just have to kind of hope you can do that organically. I don't know that you can force it, uh, but I think it's still a work in progress to answer your question, Sarah, that they're going to have to kind of figure out how to keep guys involved, particularly – 
George Kittle and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, the guys who, you know, you can't just hand them the ball. I guess you can, Debo. They don't do it as much as they used to, but you can't just hand them the ball to get them touches. You've got to figure out creative ways to get them involved. Nick, you made it clear you think the 49ers win this game. Got a score prediction for me? Oh, I, I don't. I think they should win the game. I guess I should caution that with they've had a lot of problems with this Cardinals team uh, over the years recently. But, uh, you know, Colt McCoy went, down, went up to Levi's last year and put it on the Niners pretty good, a really banged up Arizona team. Kind of similar situation in this one. I'm sure the Niners are a little bit more aware. But one big thing here is, is I know this is really random and it's hard to talk about because you don't know how it's going to affect the game, is elevation. I mean, I'm standing up here right now probably 8,000 feet above sea level at the top of this stadium. The Niners were in Colorado Springs all week trying to acclimate to that uh, elevation, and I think that's a, a difficult thing. So, you know, which team is better conditioned in the fourth quarter is probably going to be the one that wins this game. Uh, you know, let's call it Niners by seven, maybe, you know, a late field goal or touchdown or something, maybe could push it to ten, but I think that's probably about where it's going to land. Follow him on Twitter, at NWagoner. Nick, always appreciate your time, my friend. Travel safe and enjoy the game. Thanks, Nick. Have fun. Thanks, guys. Take care. Let's get the other side of the matchup, and we do that with ESPN Cardinals reporter Josh Weinfuss. Josh, always appreciate your time. We were just talking about the other side of this equation. Altitude came into that conversation. How does altitude in your mind play into this game specifically for the Cardinals? Well, it's going to be interesting because they did not take the same approach that the 49ers did. They stayed in in Arizona. Um, They did not go to a higher altitude or higher elevation area. You know, they used to train in Flagstaff like 10 years ago, which was about a mile high, but they did not choose that route um, this year. They have been working on this for about the last two, three weeks. They've been using oxygen bikes to help them kind of adapt. But, you know, there's basically two ways of thinking heading into a game like this. You either prep for a while and train for a while, or you just go and play and kind of roll the dice. And that's what the Cardinals are doing um, this week got to roll the dice at quarterback as well what are the expectations for colt mccoy you know the thing about colt mccoy is he runs a much more efficient offense than kyler murray has been uh the last you know year or so whenever we see colt mccoy in there things seem seem to go a little bit smoother um one thing cliff kingsbury has been saying all week is that mccoy has been very good at pre-snap reads which led me to ask him what makes him so much better at it? And he said, you know, being 36 years old, he's been in the league for a long time. He's seen everything. Well, Cliff Kingsbury is very calculated with what he says publicly. So he wasn't just saying this just to say it. There was a reason behind it. And basically what that is is that, you know, when Kyler Murray's out there, he used to rely on center Rodney Hudson for all those pre-snap reads and adjustments. Well, Rodney Hudson's been out, and we've seen kind of the fallout of that. You know, the Cardinals have struggled with some of those pre-snap reads, those coverage adjustments, uh, the scheme adjustments. So I think what we're going to see is a um, a slimmed-down version of the playbook. Obviously, you know, Cole McCoy doesn't run like Kyler Murray does, but he's very, he's very efficient. He knows how to get the ball out early when he needs to. You know, he can stay in the pocket when he needs to. He's, just, he's a very smart player. So I think we're going to see a Cardinals offense that looks as smooth as, as it's been um, in a while. Which is sort of a weird stare. Like, I just feel weird about that. You just paid Kyler Murray a bunch of money. So all of this just feels off to me. And now we're talking about a Cardinals team that's four and six. A lot of football left to be played. But internally within the organization, how happy are they with where the team is right now? They're not. I mean, this is an organization that expected, you know, they expected this this offense to be to hit the ground running, even without DeAndre Hopkins on the field for the first six games. They really thought we were going to see a repeat of last year, but they thought they would be able to take that second half 
when they fell off kind of the edge last year when they ended up that, 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 that tailspin and rectify those issues. Instead, they've had those issues all year long. You've seen a very undisciplined team, lots of pre-snap mistakes, a lot of mental errors, a lot of shooting themselves in the foot. So internally, they are it's, it's, it, there's a lot of unhappiness in a lot of different factions in the locker room. Um, they are hoping that, you know, I would say this. Last week's win in L.A. essentially saved Cliff Kingsbury's job for the time being because if they would have lost that game and then if they lose this game this week, that would have been three straight against three straight division opponents. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury would have survived Thanksgiving. But having beat the Rams in L.A., it was like a preseason game to back up quarterbacks. And if they go out and they win this game, then I think that, you know, I think he, he might survive um, until 2023. If they lose this game, it's going to be kind of, you know, another roll of the dice to see how he fares after the season. Spain and Fitz were talking to Josh Weinfest about the Cardinals ahead of Niners Cardinals Monday night football tonight. How do they win the game then? What needs to go right? They need to just play smart football, and that, that falls basically solely on Colt McCoy. He needs to put them in a position, basically almost every play, to, I mean, it sounds so cliche, but, you know, to be successful, right? I mean, they need to run the ball well. They need to be able to uh, avoid the Niners' pass rush, which he, which McCoy was very good at doing last week against the Rams. And then they need their defense to come up with a big play or two. Um, you know, this the, the, the pass rush has been very good um, in, uh, from the inside out. You know, J.J. Watt's been playing very good lately. Dak Allen's been playing very good lately. So if they can get some push um, on Garoppolo, I think that they can make some plays on the edge and they they need to come up with you know a pick or two for fumble something like that but they really need this offense to to play smart consistent football maybe get a big play deep with either you know DeAndre DeAndre Hopkins or Rondale Moore um but just don't turn the ball over and don't shoot themselves in the foot Josh got a pick for us <sighs> I, I I don't know if the Cardinals offense with all their issues lately with all their personnel issues especially on on the offensive line with i think they have they only have one day one starter left and kelvin beach the right tackle i don't know if that's going to be enough to slow the 49ers defense so i would say san francisco wins this game follow him on twitter at josh weinfuss josh always appreciate you man enjoy the game and travel safe yeah thanks for having me We'll keep you updated as we get closer and closer to kickoff. And don't forget, you can save on commercial auto insurance from Progressive. Get a fast quote at ProgressiveCommercial.com. It's Monday. The takes are flowing. The question is, are they good or are they hot? We'll break it down next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Sarah, are you a good lip reader? Decent, decent. I, I'm the worst. Like they, they actually had to put a little mic. There's a, a mic. If you ever watch your favorite band on stage, there's probably a mic that's facing the wrong way. It's facing the crowd. It's back at the back of the stage, and nobody knows what that's for. There's a little foot switch. You can step on it, and then when you step on the foot switch, you activate the microphone. You can talk to all the musicians on stage in a way that only ah. they can hear you. Mm-hmm. And we had to get one of those because, like, especially with the band Perry, like Kimberly would turn around and she'd start yelling at me that she wanted to do something. I'm, I'm the worst. I'm, I'm looking at her lips, and I'm like. I don't know what you just said. <laughs> I don't know what the gentleman just said that was introing the Monday Night Football game that's in Mexico City. 
But I just want whatever he's like, whatever he's selling me, I'm buying because the level of excitement coming off of his face, just I, I'm in. I'm running through a wall for a guy and I have no idea. I, I don't know what language <laughs> he was speaking. I don't know what he was saying. He might have been saying, get your used cars down in Chuck's. I hope it was like an Chucks, ad for but, Verizon. Uh, yeah. yeah, I hope it was like something just like not at all inspiring. Yeah, well, speaking of not inspiring, the Cardinals three and out on the first drive. It's now the 49ers ball. Uh, we'll keep you updated on Monday Night Football as it continues. But it's Monday and that means it's time to break down some of the best and worst from our colleagues. Boom! Hot take! Hot take! It's time to rate the takes of the day. Are they good takes? The season is over! <laughs> I mean, one game in! Or hot takes. This is why I called out and said Kirk Cousins is going to be the MVP. It's good take, hot take on Spain and Fitz. All right, you know the drill. We play you some of the takes from the day, and then we figure out if they're right or wrong. And we start with Mike Tannenbaum, ESPN NFL front office insider. This is what he had to say on NFL primetime about the Jets and what they should do with Zach Wilson. Oh, that's easy. He's the third-string quarterback, and he'll be running the practice squad uh, in terms of Mike White and Joe Flacco will be competing to start. I think this is an absolute no-brainer for head coach Robert Sala, if he does it any other way, he could lose the entire organization. And what I mean by that is, and Chris knows this very well, you know, a culture of accountability means exactly that. If you're overweight, if you're late, you get fined. And if you let one player not be held accountable who played so poorly and obviously has a lot of work to do off the field, it would just be fundamentally unacceptable to let him trot out there, even with the backup team, on Wednesday's practice. He, he does not deserve to dress for the game. He's not good enough. And this is a team that has a lot of strengths going right now, and he is holding them back. Wow. Ooh. I think that is a hot take. Yeah, I think I so. Under- yeah, I understand that uh, where Tannenbaum is coming from, there is incredible frustration. The performance was awful. The response after the game was idiotic. And there is going to have to be a lot of maneuvering in that locker room to keep spirits high, to keep belief in whatever choice they make um, from from splintering a group that might disagree. But I also agree with what you said earlier in the show. That sounds very college. And I think at this point with grown adults, especially a very high draft pick, you do that and it's over. And I don't know if they're ready to make that decision. Yeah, that's the interesting part about it. Like, I think the what he's saying is he's good at his job. Like, that's a good take to take to TV. That's a hot take, though, to actually execute, right? Because if you do that, you can never put Zach Wilson back. Like, you're never right. going to get – he's never going to get that locker room back. It is going to be absolutely over, and and now you're saying, hey, even if there is a chance, we're not taking that chance with you. You might as well uh, just start figuring out where you're going to trade him in the offseason because there's no chance that he comes back to there. So we agree on that one for good take, hot take. Hey, good. Look at – oh, and there we go. Coming in hot here. Didn't get All the right. flames, though. Yeah. I wanted the flames. Uh, one step at a time, sir. Oh, <laughs> there, there we they got the are. flames. Thank we you. got the flames. We got the – <laughs> One more, one more time with the flames, just because it sounds all right. Uh, thank you, thank you. It's fiery. It's good take, hot take on Spade and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Okay, let's go to our next take for good take, hot take, and this one is Keyshawn on Keyshawn J. Will and Max talking a little bit about what he thinks Justin Fields, the quarterback of your Chicago Bears, needs to stop doing. It's early in his career, and he's getting banged up. This is not late in his career. This is not. 
you know, getting banged up this game and then he doesn't get banged up for another 14 games, you know, or next year. This is like a consistent situation, and they are running him a little bit too much for my liking if he's the future at the quarterback position for you. You just can't do it. Uh, it's a good take to me. Um, and I'm not just saying that because today it was announced that he has a shoulder injury that's day-to-day but also could be season-ending. Mm, yeah. Trying to figure out that one. I think we've all been saying that in Chicago. Like, he has no weapons to throw to. The offensive line is not good. And this team does not have much talent on it. So getting to see what he can be when they do designed runs and when he takes over has been incredibly fun to watch, but not at the expense of the future where they've got $110 million plus million of cap space, endless picks, and the ability to actually put a good team around him. So uh, I'm okay with them continuing to take the L's and only doing half as much of the great fun plays with him as they're doing, so, assuming he's playing. Yeah, so the interesting thing is I'm not sure there's been a safer bet throughout the course of the entire year than Justin Fields over rushing every game. Like it's, it's my weekly, I'd like free money. So I'm going to place it on that. Like he, he hits that every week, but I think you're right. I think it's a good take, especially right now, because you know what he can do when he needs to be off schedule. So uh, right now, if you're the bears and there's any Nick on him, I don't mind putting bubble wrap around him. And when he is in the game, work on the things that don't come as naturally to him because that's yeah. what's going to have to be better mm-hmm. for next year. So Agreed. I think that makes sense. Let's get one more in here. Greeny, Mike Greenberg, on his show, Greeny, said this about Patrick Mahomes and the MVP. Whether he is the most outstanding player in the league or not, which I think he is, he is truly the most valuable. He is doing everything. He is elevating his team. Patrick Mahomes may have lost his, quote, best weapon, but he's still got the guy he trusts when everything goes wrong. Mahomes also runs it so well. He knows exactly when to do it and when not, and I think that makes a big difference. Mahomes is the MVP right now to me. No ifs, no ands, no buts. That's a good take to me. We, we, we maybe don't even notice how incredible the things he does are because he makes them look so easy. But, man, I mean, at every turn that people could have doubted this team, he's shown up, and I think he's the best that's ever done it. I don't disagree with everything you said, but it's a hot take to me only because if we're talking about somebody that has no help around him and just has to will his team to victory, that's still Derrick Henry to me. I don't think any player is doing more with less Justin than Derrick Henry. I mean, yeah, I mean – I'm looking at a Titans team that's in the playoff conversation because of Derrick Henry, so I will put him in the MVP conversation. Our next guest will weigh in on what he would do with Zach Wilson if he was in charge of the Jets. You'll hear it, Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive is proud to support veterans and small businesses with their annual Keys to Progress vehicle giveaway program, helping veterans move their lives forward since 2013. Learn more at keystoprogress.com. Let's go out to ESPN NFL analyst, one of our faves, Lewis Riddick, to talk about a wild weekend in the NFL. Let's start with me feeling a little chesty about my picks. I was not impressed by the Vikings' tight wins over sub-500 teams. I did not expect them to beat the Cowboys, but I will not pretend that I thought it was going to be a beatdown like that. Lewis, what mm-hmm. happened? Yeah, Sarah, they, they kind of they kind of got away from what is – what has already been established as the blueprint to really frustrate Dallas from a defensive perspective, meaning Dallas's defense. And by that, I mean this. Look, the run game got going early for Minnesota. Dalvin Cook looked good. And then early in that first quarter, 
they get down inside the red area. They want to try and throw the ball to TJ Hawkins, and he drops a touchdown pass, then he drops another pass. And it, and it kind of, from there, seemed like they just didn't want to commit to the perimeter run game the same way that Green Bay did the week before and really like took the took the air out of Dallas's defense and made them kind of play bully ball, so to speak, and kind of got after them in that way. And they, then they wanted to, to throw the football. Dallas started to build a lead. Then they had to throw the football out of necessity a little bit more. And once once Dallas gets you in that mode, and then they can tee off with um, with Micah and Demarcus Lawrence, and and then the you know the secondary can really start sitting on routes and playing things very aggressive because they know the ball's coming out fast. And Kirk was holding it too long. It just all snowballed downhill from there. And then they're you know when their offense gets going like it did against you know with Tony Pollard running the football and catching the football out of the backfield the way he did, it's just it's just like an avalanche, man. And it's it exposed some things from, you know, um, from Minnesota's perspective that I hated to see, which was you've seen how teams get after Dallas and kind of slow down their pass rush. Keep running the football, even when maybe you don't feel like it's getting you the kind of return that you want. But it was. So that that's what frustrates me with offensive play calling sometimes against teams like Dallas. And then with Kirk Cousins, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure everybody's probably saying the same thing about him now those questions about whether or not Kirk is big game, they popped up again. And now, you know, Minnesota's going to have to come back and try and answer all those things, you know, down the stretch here so people don't start calling them, you know, the luckiest uh, eight-win team right. prior to this game that, um, that we had seen in recent years. They should definitely start by getting into the uh, positive point differential again next week if they can. What a wild (laughs) thing to be a negative point differential with that record. Lewis Riddick is here Mm -hmm. with us on Spain and Fitz. I want to play you something because Robert Sala told the media today he's not committing to Zach Wilson as the starter for Sunday. Mike Tannenbaum doesn't even have him as number two. Here's what Tannenbaum said today. Oh, that's easy. He's the third string quarterback and he'll be running the practice squad. Uh, in terms of Mike White and Joe Flacco will be competing to start. I think this is an absolute no-brainer for head coach Robert Sala. If he does it any other way, he could lose the entire organization. And what I mean by that is, and Chris knows this very well, you know, a culture of accountability means exactly that. If you're overweight, if you're late, you get fined. And if you let one player not be held accountable who played so poorly – and obviously has a lot of work to do off the field, it would just be fundamentally unacceptable to let him trot out there, even with the backup team on Wednesday's practice. He, he does not deserve to dress for the game. He's not good enough. And this is a team that has a lot of strengths going right now, and he is holding them back. Too extreme or spot on? Yeah, it's easy to say when you're not the one who drafted the guy you know, number two overall just a year right. ago. And... Look, I, I get the sentiment for sure. Look, I'll be the first to say, and I don't mean this in any other way, but you know, from a from an evaluation standpoint, I was never a big fan of Zach Wilson's demeanor uh, and all the euphoria that was surrounding him, based off of basically one throw in the pro day, you know, that was orchestrated to highlight some of the things that he can do physically from a you know from a throwing perspective. I was never really enamored with with the young man from a, I just got the, got a weird feeling about him uh, observing him at training camp this year when he was out with an injury and we were up there watching joint practices with the Falcons. And 
he just seemed to be, you know, riding around the golf cart, not necessarily being someone who was out there, you know, invested in the same way everyone else was. It's just the feeling that you get, Sarah. I mean, it's nothing personal. It's just the feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And when I saw him in his press conference uh, answer that question the way he did, as a former player and as someone who's been in locker rooms with great leaders, they would, he would have been a guy who I immediately probably would have been like, you know what, you know, <laughs> blankety-blank him, we need to get somebody else in here. I probably would have felt that way as a player for sure. And even as a, as a scout or as an assistant coach, I'd probably be feeling that way too. But as a GM and as someone who maybe, you know, would be in, who had invested in a guy like this, you're going to pull the plug now. You're going to pull the plug, you know, halfway through year two. Are you really going to do that? Given what you've invested in them already. Or so then it's up to Sala to talk their, them through this somehow. That That's right. That's right. And, I, and I'm not saying that that it, it doesn't eventually come to that. I believe maybe it does. But I think at this point, this is the point where it's kind of like this. Okay, look, Robert's really been supportive of him. It was just last week that he said, you know, that people on the outside don't really understand what's going on on the inside, and people on the outside may have it wrong about, you know, what Zach has overcome, what he's getting better at, what he still has to improve on. And then, you know, in a way, kind of like saying, hey, you know what, mind your business a little bit. We know a little bit more about what's going on inside here than you. For that to flip all of a sudden in one week and, because he had a bad game and handled the press conference wrong and put him third team and let him run the scout team, mm. it seems a little dramatic. That would yeah. be a dramatic, dramatic turn. He does need, though, to lay the law down with this kid and be like, hey, look, you know, at some point in time, it's either you or me. It's you or me, and I'm not going to go down with you acting like that. <laughs> so Fair if that point. means I have to sit you down and then they go out and then they send me out of here because I sat you down, fine. But I'm not going to let you just sabotage a lot of good other good things that are going on around here. I definitely, definitely 1,000% would have that conversation with him. And I'd tell Joe Douglas, hey, look, th- this is the way it is. You hired me to coach this team. This is what I'm going to tell you. I know what you invested in him, but it's either him or me if he doesn't get his head out of his you-know-what you and get going mm-hmm. because he's messing with us right now in a bad way. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, talking to Lewis Riddick at L Riddick ESPN is where you can follow him. Lewis, you tweeted out, you can have all the MVP discussions you want. The race is over. We're going to have a discussion right now. What is it about Patrick <laughs> Mahomes that sets him apart in a way that you think can't be caught uh, for the rest of the season? He, um, we're just talking about Zach Wilson, right? Uh, everything Zach Wilson is. Yeah. Yeah. He's every, and I'm not, I'm not talking skill because I'll tell you what. Patrick just said the other day that I think I think he was talking about Justin Herbert. He said Justin Herbert can make throws that nobody else can make, including me. That's a big admission from a guy who mm. throws no-look passes, can throw the ball 80 yards in the air, all that stuff. But this isn't about physical skill. He is a guy who truly, you know, we use this phrase, make everyone else around you better. You know, we, we say that all the time, you know, and we just kind of loosely throw it out. He, look at what he did last night. Obviously, he's still like Travis Kelsey, who's probably, you know, Shannon Sharp was talking about today that he may be the greatest of all time. When it's all said and done, he'll be considered the greatest tight end to ever lace him up. He still has him, but Tyreek leaves in the offseason. People say there's no way this offense can be as good. There's no way Patrick can be as good. They never really have had a strong running game. It's just been a serviceable running game. Juju Smith-Schuster's not playing last night. McCole Hardman's not playing last night. And what does he do? He's still out there just slicing up freaking L.A.'s uh, pass defense like nobody's – like it's no issue. He's mm. so dialed in to what Andy wants to get done and so dialed in to what he does best 
he, he's a he's a step ahead, a step ahead, a step ahead, and you can just see all everybody else does not. And I know I know this for a fact because this is what they tell me down there. Nobody wants to let him down. Nobody, and it's been that way since day one, since the first year he took over after Alex Smith was traded to Washington. Nobody wants to let him down because they realize he's a savant mentally. He's a savant as far he's unique as far as his dedication to the game, and he's definitely one of one in terms of the kind of stuff he's done on the field at such a young age already. Those are all the things like, that, that's not, he, he's not just going to fall off a cliff between now and, and January one. He, he's not going to get worse. He's yeah. just going to continue to elevate, 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 elevate to where I, I don't understand like why he would, why he would have, you know, a sustained run of bad games. He's, he's just going to get better. So that's why I say, He's doing things right now that no other quarterback is doing. And there's some quarterbacks having great years, man. I mean, Joe Burrow, I mean, geez, you saw how good he played yesterday minus the picks and how good Tua was playing and how good Justin can play and how good Lamar has played. But no one's on Patrick's level, right? No, they're just not. And they're not going to be. Not this year. Yeah. Not with what he's doing. I mean, they're, well, they're just not just giving the damn trophy. So that being said, we're out of time. So one word only. What team yeah. could challenge the Chiefs in the AFC? Buffalo. All right. So we got Buffalo, one. Buffalo healthy will challenge them. I would love to watch endless Chiefs-Bills games. Just endless Chiefs-Bills, Chiefs-Chargers, <laughs> and would. then some Justin Fields doing some stuff. And I'm happy with just nope. that. Uh, Lewis, no thanks question. for the time. Appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Always good stuff from Lewis Riddick. You can follow him L Riddick ESPN. Coming up, we'll update you on Monday Night Football in Mexico City. I got a little surprise for Jason Fitz coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Well, I thought we were done talking about Zach Wilson. Nick, <laughs> look, behind we got Nick working on the behind the scenes, working on the board. And, and earlier, we complimented Nick and his great work in getting good songs and really – like yeah. He does a, a really nice job of, of attention. Yeah, little details in the show largely come from Nick. Ever since we complimented him, this thing has gone straight down. Downhill. It, like Nick's straight gone from being downhill. Mahomes to being Zach Wilson in this game. We're watching it happen in front of our very eyes. It, it's the one, oh, the scouting man. combine throw is what we got at the beginning. Everybody was hype on him. Now he's Zach Wilson. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a two hour show and he's already in repeats. It's like, come yeah. on, man. I wanted Think to about play. how much music has existed in the world and you went with the same I, song. I have Dancing Queen by ABBA ready to go hit it doesn't fire that's not my fault wow a no. good craftsman blame doesn't blame his tools if you were a real real pro you would just sing it for yeah, us yeah i mean you could have just started singing dancing queen nobody would have stopped you on yeah, this you show you want to sing it nick yeah give it a shot hard no <laughs> <laughs> it's Spain and fit sarah spain jason fitz espn radio espn app sirius xm channel 80 espn radio is presented by progressive insurance uh, Fitz, I just I want to update you on Monday Night Football, not just the score, but I have a surprise for you that because you are unable to read lips, you missed out on the message that was sent directly to your soul. But we now have what was actually being screamed at the screen that you were trying to decipher. La pasión, the passion for la NFL is lunes, it's Monday, los 49ers y los Cardinals and Monday Night Football! Viva la NFL! Y viva Monday Night Football! Monday Night! Body ESPN! Monday Night! 
I've, I've got chills. I've got goosebumps. It's Monday night, in case you didn't realize. I don't even have hair on my arms. I shave them, long story. But let me tell you, it is like all the little huh? bumps are huh? popping. I, woo! Woo! My no-no blazers are saying, yes, yes, whoa, give it to whoa, me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're back to Susanna Hoffs again. That was too mad. That was too much. Eternal Flame video. Go watch Leave it, guys. Your Just no-no take the rest of the it. night off. Just go watch Eternal oh, Flame. Oh, man. Well, uh, he was excited. <laughs> the game, that is exciting so far. We got a 3 nothing lead for the Cardinals with about two and a half minutes to play in the first quarter. Uh, that is... Um, uh, hopefully a game that will pick up for the devoted fans of Mexico City. Uh, not so great so far. Uh, Fitz, it's the end of the show, and you know how we like to finish. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you play the sound. Wiggins with Spain and Fitz. Nick plays it. We get in and out of topics fast. <laughs> Nick plays it. Oh, Nick's just sitting there staring oh, at me. And I called him Chris for some I mean, reason. That, that, that's, you know what? <laughs> I guess he deserved it. Normally, this is Chris doing this, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. He called out, so you're lucky I'm here. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's right. Uh, all right, quickies. Let's get into it. A good story to start with, and this is something um, that I saw across a couple places, including um, a friend that I made when covering women's baseball and girls' baseball who happened to be one of the coaches in the GTB program that this gal came up in. And she is now the first woman to be active on a Division I varsity baseball roster. Olivia Pichardo, freshman utility player, walked on at Brown and has been named to the varsity roster. She was a pitcher and outfielder for the U.S. baseball women's national team this past past summer um, and used to play varsity baseball in Queens, New York and club baseball for a couple of clubs gets to Brown walks on. And the coach said she had the most complete walk on tryout I've seen from a player since becoming a head coach. Pretty awesome. Yeah. And amazing too. I mean, her quote, I'm just trying to honestly develop myself as a baseball player and not trying to think too broadly for me. I was just wanted to play college baseball, no matter what division it was in. The school happens to be a division one team that I walked onto. I can't imagine the pressure that comes with this when you know everything's attached mm-hmm. and the ability to separate yourself from that and just do what you do well is incredible to me. This is this is groundbreaking. And as somebody that has said on this show a million times, I don't care. As a, as a lifelong diehard Raiders fan, I don't care where you're from. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what gender you are. If you help my favorite team win, yep. that is all I care about. So uh, kudos to her to get out there and seize that opportunity. And she's got to be a pretty smart gal, too, if she's going to Brown. And then walking on and doing this. And so. Brown, Brown versus Cornell. What? 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 what, what I what mean, Cornell obviously is, okay. is far superior, but Brown's a nice place to be if you can't get into Cornell. All right, next story. Quickies. Oh, Nick um, got that one. He's back. Nick's back. Everybody. <laughs> uh, there's there's uh, more to this Kyrie Irving story, and I can't imagine most people following it very closely thought that it was over when Kyrie apologized a bit. I think. As I've said all along, Fitz, and as I said at length during and around the horn segment that we were given the time uh, and space to discuss this, it's not ultimately about saying I'm sorry or denying anti-Semitism. When we use words like that, it is uh, causes people to be incredibly defensive and also reject the idea of that ism or that word being applied to them. It doesn't necessarily speak to the belief system that they have. So with Kyrie, I said, I think he may it's possible, have good intentions. But what he is saying and what he's espousing is inaccurate and incredibly dangerous. And so it's not enough to say, I'm not anti-Semitic. 
you have to ask him what he believes and why, because eventually he needs to learn and understand the history of the Holocaust and how dangerous it is to platform hate groups. And he hasn't done that. And it's led to a development that's honestly terrifying and predictable. Black Hebrew Israelites, which are the group that uh, whose views are espoused in the video that he shared and promoted, uh, chanted on the way to the Barclays Center to support Kyrie Irving's return, we are the real Jews and time to wake up. This is a group identified as a hate group by the Southern uh, Law Center. And he did not take any time to speak out how they weren't aligned with him, how he didn't believe in what they said or did. In fact, he said he didn't want to talk about it, just basketball. But then when asked about potentially filing uh, a grievance against the team, he was willing to speak to that at length. So it's not just basketball. It's what he wants to say something about. It's what he wants to explain. The hardest part on this is that there's an opportunity. If you're really sorry for what you've done, or for how it's come across, there's an opportunity in your in your growth and learning for a lot of people to learn through that process, right? Like, I think there's an openness mm -hmm. that can come. And I'm the first to admit, there are things that I thought and said when we first started working together that were no big deal. And then you'd be the one that comes in and it's like, hey, that's hurtful because of this or that. And it's like, all right, great. I didn't know that. Now I know it. I'm going to learn right. from it and I'm going to be better. I've had several friends at ESPN that I've been able to sit down with that have been like, hey, what you said means this to someone else. And in my mind, like, I look at that and say, oh, my God, how can I improve that portion of myself? Like, Kyrie had a real opportunity here to step mm -hmm. in and be like, either I didn't watch it or I didn't understand it or now I understand it. There were so many opportunities coming to yeah. be like, hey, guys, I went through this growth process and I want you to hear about it so you can grow too. And instead, it's just defensive when he wants to be defensive and he's just going to try and bury it by playing good basketball and we shouldn't let that happen. Well, and I think that that's the problem, Fitz, is people keep saying, what do you need him to do? Well, you know, why are you demanding a pound of flesh and you'll never forgive him? It's because what he has said and the words he has chosen and the ways he's reacted to the questioning have simply reaffirmed that he does believe this stuff. Not that he made a mistake, not that he didn't watch the movie, but that he understands what he's saying and he believes it. And I think that's deeply deeply scary and very dangerous, particularly considering the uptick in anti-Semitic acts of late and violence. So uh, that's why it's not over yet. Can still going. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN radio and on the ESPN app.